0: Crazy, disruptive, explicit. We say it like it is. Real-world sales and marketing. Real stories from the road. Yeah, it's the real shit. This is the havoc Podcast.
1: Whoa, going back fireside now.
0: Yeah. Hello crickets. It's nice to
1: hear you again. Yep, yeah, going with the cricket, the relaxing crickets and the fire-free fireside.
0: I don't know if I've ever actually seen a fire in your fire pit now that I'm thinking about it. Hmm.
1: no, nah, We've had them. I just well, I can see, see that usually there's been we're... some
0: burn marks on there, but I've never yeah. seen a real fire in
1: there. Sometimes we do. Not usually when there's electric cords around it. Coward. But, yeah, kind of chickens like that.
2: Yeah, Fill it full we, full have water.
1: A, we have a really good show tonight. Uh, it's it's this, this is raising the bar again. We continue to do this, especially after last episode was just us. <laughs> well, it was,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: well, Heather it's was, kinda like, Heather was amazing. It's kind of like a change up in baseball, right? Right.
0: right, yeah. right. Now we're bringing the heater.
1: Yeah, bringing him in strong. We have uh somebody that I consider probably probably the smartest guy I know, honestly. And and I'm pretty sure there'll be some piping off of some of the listeners about that. He's up there. Uh, they'll tune they'll tune in a little bit. He's got to make up for his yeah. I don't know if I'd say good looks. Right. But pretty pretty smart guy, so this ought to be a pretty good one, but uh we also we have a singer, songwriter, and artist, uh, also uh, <laughs> vice president, CFO, uh, tight end, defensive end.
2: Tight end's always open, Trevor.
1: Yep. <laughs> always. Wow. Best athletes on the field, hands down. We have Mr. Rusty Wentz. <sighs> That's where you cue the applause.
2: Sorry. Thank you. Pleasure to be My here. Hold on, Hold on a second. Mr. On
1: Rusty the- Wentz. I was on the wrong page. <laughs> <laughs>
2: My is. See, was
1: that good? That was better. You feel, you feel cooler now?
2: I feel extremely cool. Like yeah. I said, tight ends always open. So. <laughs> 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 That's what
1: I wanted to do the first time on your tight end joke. <laughs> you missed it. Yeah. So, Rusty, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, um, I am the vice president and chief financial officer for Stein Distributing, which is the Anheuser Busch wholesaler for Southwest Idaho, Central Idaho. Uh, I've been doing that for about 15 years now. I also oversee about 600 acres of orchard land in uh, Washington that the Stein family owns as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. Orchard land? Yes. Wow. Just when I think you couldn't get any cooler. <laughs> it's it's uh we have pretty diverse orchards over there. What do you grow? So we grow apples, pears, cherries, uh, some stone fruits. Not a whole lot, yeah. but um, yeah, that's that's our main forte. We got like I said, we got about six hundred acres over there, and really been converting things over to organic. That's kind of it's kind that's of that's where the money is. It's kind of a right thing right now. Yeah.
1: That so. is an interesting and uh, a very interesting segue into the topic tonight. One of the reason I wanted to get you here was the adapting to the market. You're adapting. You guys adapt to the market. So when I, I think of it, in my building industry, I'm dealing with the adapt- adaptation of the market because the lumber prices are going through the roof. We've talked about it a couple times, but it's it continues to go through the roof, which means people are looking at alternative building products. You guys, when I started thinking about this topic, it was a no-brainer to have you on because Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, is the red and white can, man. They're the Clydesdales. They are beer. It is the beer company of all beer companies. But what I'm watching you do, and I, you and I have had this conversation uh, before, but you guys are adapting into Like, everyone knows there ain't no law when you're on the claw, right? The white Claw, the there trulies, all these things, right? So they kind of came into this whole thing with the the seltzer, you know, beverage market or whatever you guys call it, probably. But now all of a sudden, Budweiser, who you know, instead of just sticking to your guns and being like, "Nope, we make beer, we're Budweiser, we make beer, red white, can beer," you guys literally adapt to the market and you're you're coming out with all these different options and stuff. So I mean, how's that going for
2: well, you? Well, okay. Anheuser Busch, I think you know adaptability is very important in any business you're in. They've been adapting to the market for decades. Wow. You know, you you go back and look um, in 1956 when Keith Stein bought or you know founded Stein Distributing. I think they had six packages total. <laughs> is all they had. Yeah. Uh, I currently have over 500 brands and. <laughs> About fifteen hundred different packages now.
0: That's it. So it's good increase.
2: Yeah. So they've been doing it for a long time. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the, you can go back to the early '80s when Bud Light came out. Yeah. And people were trying to hey, you know, the, is beer hey fatty. packing on some weight. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need something light here. They call so it they've a been beer belly. A long time. They've been innovating a long time, and um, you know, sometimes you know they're ahead of the trend. Sometimes they're behind the trend, but. Um, yeah, it's important that you're able to move and see what the consumer wants and get a product out there that, oh, that they're yeah. going to want. Because know thy customer. The, you know, especially in the retail industry, it's, it's dog eat dog. Oh, yeah. It is tough. And shelf space is hard to come by. And there's not a lot. And, and I think it's see, harder
1: now by far.
2: Absolutely. Like in the
1: last five years? Stores are bigger and it's harder to get shelf space. Figure that one out.
2: Yeah. Weird. And so, well, you've got hundreds of new, you know. Yeah. Uh, craft beers. Craft beers that have come out. And now you've got all these niche different types of alcohol that mm. you're seeing. Whether, you know, it kind of started, you know, a little bit, I think, you know, with, with what we call FMBs or flavored malt beverages. You know, your Zemas. Things like that, that we're oh, familiar, where Little That I takes Man, you back to high school. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, and now, you know, we, Ice. You I mean, after
1: I mean, college, I was 21. Yeah,
2: you see that now, you know, the lime you know, things like that. Yeah. And now great the big breakfast one, drink, by the way. Now great the big breakfast one drink. is the seltzer that's yeah. come out. And so, you know, it's important. White Claw obviously got a huge head start on everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, so, they got a lot of the shelf space. So, when you bring out a, a, an item to, to compete with that, it's real difficult to get it, first of all, into the stores. So, you better make sure it's it's a good, high-quality product mm-hmm. and um, that you've got a, you know, at least in our, our industry, uh, a means to get it on the shelf and get it serviced the way it needs to be done. Or else, oh, it's just spinning your wheels. So. It's, they, they've been innovating through this. And, and now the new things, I mean, they're coming out with new seltzers. The next thing you're going to see come out is going to be liquor-based seltzers. So like a vodka seltzer. Now you see the vodka mm. sodas. Mm. I have yeah, had yeah, that's- I drank a vodka, vodka seltzer mm. last week. They brought it in to test. Yeah. I, I could not believe there was alcohol in it. Really? It, it tasted. That's bad. Like flavored water. That's bad. Yeah, I was like, "I this is dangerous.
1: <laughs> do they, so, back to the, the, you've seen some of these trends come through, right? And Some of the different flavored stuff come through. Do you think that it's just due to good marketing that it seems like this White cloud or these seltzer? what do you guys call your seltzers? So I'm not plugging them the whole time. What's the Budweiser well, we seltzer? Well, we have Bud Light seltzer. Bud Light seltzer. But
2: we have, we, and we have... Five or six different lines. If we have social club seltzer, you know we've got Bud Light seltzer. You've seen the Natty Light seltzer. Yeah, they,
1: yeah, that's they killed it this summer. Yeah. With that.
2: and you know, and now Coors. You've seen Coors now. I don't know if you've seen the Coors Light mm. seltzer that's now come out. So everybody's mm. saying, hey, this is a this is a growing um, niche in the alcohol industry, and it's not a fad.
1: Do you no. think it's the Do you think it's the biggest one you've seen? Do You think it's. A, 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 you're a numbers guy. From a numbers yes, standpoint, is the, this the biggest spike that you've seen out of a It is the biggest, fad, most
2: disruptive fad I've seen in
1: 15 years.
0: What was yeah. the uh, interesting thing to see at GFY this year? Yeah. So you have a golf tournament with, what we have, 45 guys up there? Yeah, this and year. It, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a bunch 48. of 48 dudes, right? The amount of. Men's man. I mean, of, like. The amount of white clothing. Like, insane. Insane. <laughs> And it was funny because there was a few guys that were like, are you kidding me? You're drinking. Are you? Come on.
1: And the next night, they're... <laughs> they're drinking it. They're ponying up to one. Yeah, and I, I think that was... And then we saw a lot of Natty, you know, the yeah. Natty Seltzer was big there. Like, you know, you're, that's what I... And going back to our whole Scamdemic talk from before we were on air, I I make my decisions based upon what I see and what I experience in my own life, Right. I can tell you from my own experience. I know a lot of my friends that drink it, like they drink Mm -hmm. the seltzers, right? Like I've never Mm -hmm. seen. I've been drinking with the same guys. Shocking. Yeah, since (laughs) I (laughs) – will call out Swanee, uh, call Swanee, Darren, uh, these guys that we know listen and drink seltzers. And uh, anyways, they I think that you we've seen. I mean, these are guys I've I've known my whole life. We've all known our whole life, and we literally have watched them. You know. They've been beer-drinking guys their whole life, Natty Light, you know, kind of guys, and now all of a sudden they make that switch to it. So I think, to me, that's what made it feel like it was a real trend, right? Like, I mean, I don't know anyone that got locked in on Zemas, and I can say, yeah, 20 years later they're just pounding the Zimas still. It doesn't really Zima. happen. Yeah, right?
2: No, I, I'll be honest. I thought it was a fad when it first came out, uh, but I was just in some meetings this week, and it's already captured 10 – the ten share of the
0: wow. beer
2: slash seltzer, you know that it's taken ten percent of the market away from beer. That's a ton, and that is a ton. Yeah, in a relatively short within what amount of time? Two years, couple of years, like A couple, couple years. of years.
1: But that's but that's the beauty of what you guys are doing, though. You you also see that, and you're like instead of somebody going. Ugh! Well, I guess we're just gonna lose ten. You know, we're just gonna lose this money to the seltzer people. You're like, no, we're gonna go make a better seltzer. We're gonna make a seltzer. We're gonna brand ours it. is better too, by the way. It is, yeah, I'm sure. I'll do Absolutely. some taste testing. But I, I think too, and I mean, this goes back to marketing, which nobody. I mean, honestly, there's not many people out there, Mr. Marketing Guy, that I you think. can tell me that do it better than Budweiser. Well, they, nope. do they do. They do. And busch Bush well. is the top of the top when marketing, Basically. right? Well, they yeah, they're market lead, and they probably They've have some of the most loyal. number one lawyer. in the Super Bowl. I
2: mean, when they, right. the, the, the rankings come out, and busch Bush is always at the top.
0: Boom. And but they um, hire the best agencies to do their work. The best. They spend the money, which when you're market lead, you get the opportunity to do that. Well, but they do a great job of of keeping it, and they like. And to, to Rusty's point. They're always looking to to innovate and to be making sure that they're. Doing things right, even if they're a little bit behind, they're still they're they have the ability to play catch up and to get a little bit ahead.
2: Yeah, they they have the not, economy,
0: yeah, not sure. not that many companies. But they do. have
1: the and they have the foresight. This is what I like about them. So and I'll bring my boy Gary V back into this. We talk. I plug Gary V all the time. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary V. Go check him out. He's the shit. You love he him. he. Anheuser Busch hired him and let him. Who's a small in the in the grand scheme of advertising agencies, VaynerMedia is a very small player right Right. they took Gary V who's a very edgy on the edge you know guy and they saw the they let him make a a commercial and he did the Harry Carey for the World Series they did the Harry Carey Budweiser commercial Mm -hmm. which was super I mean it just got I mean it was rave won awards and all this shit that was going out on a limb to do something like that you know for Budweiser to go out and do that that kind of thing and they had it queued up so in case they won Here's Harry Carey watching this, you know, the announcing the World Series blah, blah blah. Really cool concept, but they've always been that kind of ahead of the 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 you know, right. the Well, market. and that's that's all you
0: see. You're not seeing the 50 different ideas that are still on the floor or that never even make it to the pitch room. I mean, that from a marketing standpoint, you'd be stunned at the amount of stuff that no, never ever sees the light of day that's good.
2: But what you know, I mean, Go back and to- And that's just marketing. Think about the products that have <laughs> oh, never yeah. made it into the market. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. But that that goes back to, you didn't become the market lead by sitting on your hands. Right. Right? You, you're you constantly innovating stuff. And and I would argue that there's probably guys that are within the Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> the grand scheme of things, that, that were chirping away saying, hey, guys, we need to get on this seltzer thing because it's coming. There were probably- people that were ringing that bell within the organization. But again, it's a, it's a big company and they're, they're going to do all the math. They're going to poke holes and everything and make sure that it makes sense. And then put the money where it needs to be put when it needs to be put.
2: Yeah. figured I mean, out. They're going to, they're, I know a Bush InBev is one of the largest consumer products companies in the world. Right. I think it's the largest beverage company I think, in the entire world. I think it is. At this point, they've bought everything. And yeah. so, you know, kind of sticking with, you know, the theme a little bit, you know, their ability to adapt and move with the industry trends is kind of unparalleled. Now, obviously, for Especially they for have, that big. They're, they're That's what's
1: crazy. They're not a jet boat. They're a frigging cruise ship, and they make those turns like that.
2: Yes, but again, they're able to... I mean, obviously, they have, you know, a lot of money at their disposal. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of infrastructure at their disposal. When the craft industry was kicking our ass and, and killing Bud, Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. You know, we created some crafts. And then Anheuser-Busch said, well, let's just go buy some. Yep. And oh, then tin we're going to – And 10 Barrel. And now what they do with 10 Barrel? They see this diversification in the in the industry of going to flavored beverages, consumer wanting new things. And what did 10 Barrel do? With Anheuser-Busch, they created the 10 Barrel canned – Cocktails, yep, your right. bloody marys, right? And your wild meals. and they yeah. are fantastic, they're really yeah. good. And now that's kind of created a new niche that you're seeing. We just brought on a new, a new brand, uh, Cutwater Spirits. Oh yeah, and <laughs> they're fantastic. Yeah, they're how do really they so, do that? I, I, I mean,
1: that's yeah, off the subject, but no, it's how, how do you get? How do? How are they? Cause that's alcohol, right? Like, I mean, like how like how do you get a mixed drink into a can, or, or how do you vary it to make it to where you can sell it somewhere that doesn't have a liquor license?
2: Magic elves. You keep it under sixteen percent alcohol.
1: It's just a percentage thing. Just math, baby. Yeah. Okay.
2: Because, like, I mean, now
1: that's what that's what opens it, right? So now you're distributing to a place that doesn't have a liquor, like or or can sell in different hours. Doesn't have to be in the state liquor store here in the state of Idaho, which that's is right. how it is. So now all of a sudden, that's something that normally would have been distributed. You know, through the state liquor association or whatever. Now you're, yeah, now all of a sudden you're opening it up so you can have it in the Jackson's, you can have it in the Albertson's and all this, you know, Walmart and everything else. Absolutely. That's a huge business move for you guys.
2: Yeah. You go to golf courses and they say, right. well, I, I'd like a Bloody Mary at my tea time's at eight. And they say, sorry. Yeah. Bar's not open well, yet. oh, actually, here, how about just take this tin barrel because it's, it's legal for me to sell you that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There you go. It hey. opens up or take two. Yeah. Take two. Yeah. Oh, go, babe. <laughs> oh, go. <laughs> No, I think it's amazing, and it's it's it just shows the adaptability of of somebody. And what, like I said, the really impressive thing. This is a massive, massive ship that's turning on a dime. You know, that's doing that kind of stuff. It
0: would be interesting to be into some of those meetings and hear them talking about that, because you know that they're not just waltzing into it. Yeah, let's try it. See what happens. Right. There's a lot of homework that's done. There's a lot of discussions. I mean, it. I think that would be fascinating to see where we might think it happened really, really fast. There may be other people that are like, "Oh God, I've been, I've been trying to get my executive board to listen to me for blah blah blah." It would be fascinating to see all of the, the dominoes that that had to fall in order to get to go from an idea and a concept to having something being distributed to stores and golf courses and and stuff like that. But it's again, it it goes back to being smart and understanding the rules of the game to figure out some strategy to, to compete and to get a little bit of an edge.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, there are so many, if you go back to where I, I was talking about earlier, the, the number of brands and SKUs right. that we currently carry. Imagine the the, the forecasting and the logistics oh that go behind now producing all of these different flavors and package types out of the dozen breweries we have in the United States. Right. Right? They are running, the meeting I was on. There's a they're, bunch they're, of white labeling they're, they're running, right there. They're running 24-7. Yeah. And, and the, the line switch outs just in the last five years have tripled. Oh, I'm And sure I mean. Man. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> imagine the downtime that it takes. You know, to to swap out and say, well, we're going to use this line for Budweiser. Tomorrow we're making, uh, you know, lime <laughs> <Right. laughs> raspberry raspberry lime marita. So we got to change, we got to clean everything, do all of that. You know, it, it's it's process. Man. So
0: as as a financial guy, how are you looking at that in terms of your balance sheet of how much share Budweiser has lost? How do you how do you gain it back? Can you gain it back? Where do you? I you mean, care everything care, is you know? everything is diversified so much. You still don't want to. I mean, you still want to invest in the horse that brung you. You know what I mean? Yep. But how do you look at that? I mean, how do you weigh all that stuff out? Because there's there's just an inevitability of you just when you're going to divide the pie that many times. It just it's just math. But what informs your decision making in terms of where you're going to put the the effort?
2: Well, I think in terms. of, what you try to do is leverage your brand name. Love that name. Okay. Love that word. So that's why you see all the offshoots of Budweiser or Bud Light. Yeah. Right. It's Bud Light Seltzer because we want the name recognition. Because it's branding. It's Dude, branding.
0: Preach to me. So preach.
2: So you want to leverage that. Your brand, whether whether it's Anheuser-Busch or it's Innovative Custom Homes, whatever it is, you want to take your brand name and you right. want to leverage it as many ways as you possibly can right think about
1: that here's what I, I picture i was gonna i thought about this while you're talking on that the uh seltzer thing think of the loyalty that budweiser has just in nascar Right? if you're you know and i i don't i haven't been up on nascar here this year so i don't know who's michael jordan the, bought a nascar i didn't see that i didn't i don't know who drives the budweiser car well, right there's
2: now. actually no budweiser car now it's a it's bush it's oh. Kevin, it's Kevin Harvick the champion. Okay. The, soon, the to be, champion. Soon, soon to be champion. soon to be champion. Okay.
1: So you've got a, a there's no more loyal fan base than NASCAR. I don't think maybe soccer. I don't, I don't know. know. Soccer people are pretty freaky. But they, but you got NASCAR guys, right? <laughs> no, NASCAR right. guy, NASCAR, you know, NASCAR Billy Bob is legit drinking Budweiser because he's a junior fan, you know, when junior driving the, you know, but you know, Budweiser I'm drinking and he's drinking and I drive that and that's because he does that. That's how he does it. His wife goes to buy a white claw. he knocks it out of her hand and hands her a freaking bud Budweiser seltzer right. I love you because that that is how loyal people are to the brand. So when you're building that brand and you come out with something different there there's legit people who will I, I want to drink a seltzer. But I'm pretty loyal to Budweiser. Oh, now Budweiser makes one? Okay, cool. Now I can drink this seltzer because it's a Budweiser seltzer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the power of that brand and what people bring to it when there's people that are that loyal to, a, you know, a brand. And, it, you know, you see people do it for, you know, whatever, you know, the different things are, you know, but they'll, once a, a company comes out with something like that, you know, you see clothing companies that will come out with shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm loyal to that clothing company, so I buy those shoes now. I mean, my, your kids do it all the time. Yes, yeah, they so, do. And it's it's interesting to see Budweiser do so like I I've gotta believe I picture that happening, you know, where yeah, there's no white claws in a Budweiser house kind of deal. They go to the Budweiser seltzers, you know, that you know, makes it anyway, that's what I was thinking, sorry. I I had a vision there. I thought I thought it was
2: great. Well, brand loyalty, I think, is what you're getting at and it's and historically speaking, beer drinkers. Have been very brand loyal. Absolutely, um, that has changed a little bit in the last fifteen or twenty years with the the uh, all the craft mm-hmm. that has come into the market. That that type of consumer is someone that's more willing to experiment with different flavors, right? And so, but again, you, you just their business model, anheuser Bush or these other places, is just be able to adapt whatever the new trend might be whether it's a hazy ipa be ready to make a hazy ipa
0: right and make a good one
2: and make a good one adaptability is everything
0: oh yeah
2: well if you You don't have to build your infrastructure to be able to move very quickly and i have a very good parallel from our orchard operations it's almost more i can almost i can almost uh uh give you an example better from there and that is the fruit industry is very volatile Mm -hmm. okay so when we put in our our infrastructure for an orchard it used to be back in the old day well i'm going to plant this variety and i'm going to plant it on a v trellis and by god that's all it's going to be here well problem now is there's so many There's a lot of apple varieties out there, and the consumer, their tastes change frequently. So if I've got an infrastructure built for one type of apple that all of a sudden goes out of favor, well, now I've just spent all of my infrastructure money on something, I've got to totally redo it now. Because maybe this apple doesn't go great on a V trellis or you know. And it takes a hot
0: second to regrow. What we're doing
2: now, yeah. what we're doing now is we put in basically we we put the infrastructure in. So if I wanna chop a tree down and graft it over three years later, mm-hmm. boom, I can, no problem. I don't gotta mess with the trellis. I don't gotta mess with the irrigation. I put everything fifteen feet, I, I put it in fifteen foot rows, you know two or three foot spacings between trees because really these trees are more like vines than they are trees, what you would think. Um, and it's on a straight wall trellis. Now, I've done that for two reasons. Number one, so that, yes, I can on the fly adapt and change my variety very quickly. It takes three apples, or th- excuse me, three years for an apple to go from a baby tree to where it's producing fruit. Okay, mm. So I can chop a tree down a foot off from the ground, graft a new variety to it, and in three years have a whole different apple from the same rootstock that I had a previous apple from.
0: But... I love Mother
2: Nature. I put them now on wall trellises because I don't know what the variety is going to be necessarily five years down the road, but I know my infrastructure is good. Right. And I know I can run a platform up and down all these rows. I can, in the future... Use robotics to come in and pick it. Now we're not there yet, but I've planned for it. The infrastructure I've put in, I never have to replace it, but I have adaptability and I can move whenever change I the need fruit, to. Yeah. I can change it mm. in a heartbeat.
0: I'm a little pivot. You talk about robotics. So today I got to tour the Amazon Fulfillment Center that they're building here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. It is so cool to see. You talk about infrastructure, you talk about making things work and efficiencies and intentionality of design and all that stuff. (laughs) It was super impressive. But of just thinking through that stuff and what you're talking about, one of our big words, intentionality, making things efficient so that down the road, it, it makes sense that I can swap it all out because if you don't build it that way to start, you don't have the adaptability five years from now. Right. You've got to build that infrastructure and it has to be intentional and well thought out I mean, that, I mean, and I think businesses are, I think, getting better and better at that because they have to. Because there's too many smart people out there doing stuff. If you're not <laughs> adaptable, you're going to lose market will. share. Yeah,
2: yeah, and somebody's going to take your spot. Right. So let's put that in, a, you know, I'm not a home builder, but let's put it in a construction, you know, frame of, mm-hmm. of, uh, mm-hmm. of some sort. So if I'm an architect or, or something, you know, maybe I want to – have some blueprints that are adaptable that can be very easily changed between lumber your concrete forms yeah, yeah. you know because i don't know what's going to be available and yeah. i don't know what the costs are going to be a year from now right but i certainly don't want to have to go back to square one right and start over with that whole process yep. i want to just be able to swap things out
1: Well, oh, and and that's a good point even just even more basic not even taking in the the product that we're using uh heather does it all the time where she'll have a floor plan that it's the same floor plan but this room can be an office or it can have put a closet in it now it's a bedroom or this could be a workout room or this garage has a third bay that we put a bigger door on now it's an rv grudge but it's the same plan and you won't you want to be able to mix like it because you know you sit there and listen to you know also you'll have a client walk in the client says yeah we're uh you know empty nesters, we want a four-bedroom house, but we really don't care if it's got four bedrooms, four baths, a four-cloth. We want one room to be a workout room for my wife, and I want one room to be my office. Like, having the ability to just go right to a plan, because this, the, the sheer time it takes to draw a blueprint and the expense to draw a, a new blueprint for every single person you know when you're drawing a blueprint you want that thing to be as adaptable as possible you want to be able to say okay this can be a two car garage or a three car or a four car this could be this house if we put this little extra one more you know two more trusses on it now we've got a bonus room out here and now we or we we put a bonus truss and make this a two story versus a single story you know like that adaptability saves you time and money and that's what i think a, a big thing that people in business if you're listening to this and you're creating a business and you're 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 trying to line yourself out have the foresight to think ahead of, of you know, dream a little dream kind of deal. You you if you Aww, think how you're gonna be, you know, what's precious. this gonna be like? Thank you. I like that. Nobody <laughs> says precious to me very often. Well, I just did. That was precious. You know what? I dream probably because I say fuck too much. Well, you do have to offset yeah, your fuck usage for sure. Yep. But they and I think that's the first time I said it today. Yeah, you waited a long time last podcast. I think so. Yeah. I'm getting better. I'm getting real real clean yeah you're mature real clean but no i think uh, you know having a business the the key to success is is seeing that you you can be adaptable and if you're somebody that's in a big business like an, an Anheuser bush and you're working right. there you know have the foresight to realize that hey just because you're big business doesn't mean you can't be adaptable you know i mean there's i god we we run into that S- selling a building product to builders i literally have builders will say we're just too big to change <laughs>
2: I've heard that. That, that means they're that means they're going to die.
1: Right. I'm yeah, like, what? Yeah, the- maybe they are change. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're going to die. I'm like someone's going to kick your ass. Like yeah. literally, like I watch and I watch it happen. I watch Heather go into a subdivision and she'll put a house down the street from somebody and they're like, yeah, "I'm I'm not going to do that shit. That's crazy." And then she sells it for full cash asking in 3 days and they go, "Huh. Well, Maybe I should look at that now, and it's like you know, and it, it's too late, man. That house is sold. You just missed a, a buyer, you know. So having that ability to, to 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 make those changes, you know, and and I think ahead that you're you're going to be flexible, keeping your mind open to stuff is is a huge deal.
0: But that I, that you're nailing it though. It is. It doesn't happen by accident. The intentionality involved with that, and frankly, for the Anheuser Bush, it's it's hiring a good team that all understands that. Just you have to be intentional, intentional about planning and moving forward. What not? You know, I mean, it's like football, right? You're not gonna go tackle the guy where he is. You're gonna go tackle the guy where he will be. Right. You're gonna find that line, and it takes intentionality and understanding. Unless he's a tight
1: end, and you're not gonna tackle him because they're the best athletes on the field. Right. Well, pretty much. But, but good.
2: The football thing is a great analogy, I think, because you know, in any business, you have to start with a good foundation, right? you're blocking and tackling your basic right. play okay am i going to run a a, a a spread offense or am i going to run a power offense what's it going to be that's fine but from that i've got to be able to you know change things up fairly quickly but i've still got my base i know right. i know who i am but i'm able to change when I, when it's needed Right, it's, or
1: somebody gets injured. Like in football, that's a big thing, right? right? Like I mean, you got an offense that's built around a running back, and your running back goes down. You got to adapt to that situation. All what of do a sudden, guess what? Christian
2: McCaffrey, why? Right.
0: Why <laughs> high ankle sprain? No,
1: you're, you're literally gonna have to change your offense when a Christian Pick McCaffrey Mike is Mike Deneas. You know. <laughs> <laughs> just like insane. Like, I mean, those things happen. You have to be, I mean, in, in everything, you got to be able to adapt. You know, we, we talk about the pivot all the time. just right. another word uh, to make ding, it ding, adaptable. Ding.
0: Hey, where are our bingo cards? Boss lady, where? Are, I thought you had this done.
1: Uh, that's all right. She's building houses. She's busy. You've been busy. I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a I did help you on Sunday. Yeah, she was out the job site all day Sunday. So, and yeah. we actually went and helped her finish yeah. it up after yeah. we worked hard after our golf round. <laughs> yeah, I slept pretty good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I slept well. A
1: little stoved up. A little stoved up on Monday, but yeah, that's pretty good.
2: But in today's environment, take ex- perfect the COVID scam demic. The
1: yeah. scam scamdemic. Scamdemic. Oh, here we go. You don't know. Hold on a second.
2: What's going? Wait a second. <laughs> the covid go ahead scamdemic <laughs> but you don't know you don't know what's going to happen hell we don't know what's going to happen next week no. right now okay the True rules that. keep changing through that and in business you don't know what's going to happen six months a year down the road yeah. so again do you think you have- that that has
0: made businesses sharper in terms of adaptability.
2: Absolutely. I'll tell you, I think one thing, at least in my industry, in the retail sector, what it has shown us is there's a lot of business that's done that's unprofitable. (laughs) Yeah. And recognizing that and making changes to your business model to say, you know, I did things this way for a long time because it wasn't i just figured out i'm losing a lot of money it wasn't
0: it wasn't obviously broken until you i mean i talk a lot about comparative analysis where you don't know something until you understand the context of how it relates to something else right when i get the opportunity to have my entire staff work remotely and they're more productive and i'm not paying a shit ton of overhead and parking and all these different things and i can look at that and go huh does it change the way that I approach how I run things? It sure merits a conversation. Yes. So, and there's we're
1: seeing, I told, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but like I average, on average, every month, I average somewhere between two to $4,000 a month in travel expenses. That's what I expense, you know, for my travel. The company is now figuring out I'm having my best year I've ever had with this company. Um, my sales are higher than they've ever been this year during, through COVID and I'm not traveling. So I, so, so look at the, the company's selling more product than they've ever sold and they are saving at least three, let's just average it to three, $3,000 a month during COVID per person. And now what they're saying is, yeah. And, and I'm one of 12 sales people or, well, I guess we're eight. I think we're eight. Anyway. So you might, you might need to get a crayon. He's yeah. I gonna have I to 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 this up. one up. I
0: was well, told I say there to would we'll no summer. math. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, it's coloring.
1: He's color the boxes. <laughs> but, I mean, that to me, I'm I'm anxious to see because, so, I mean, being it's a Canadian company, they've shut us down for the rest of the year, period. Actually, you're shut down so, until so like 2030. <laughs> so, so, it's like 21, are they going to come back and go, uh, yeah, well, travel's back on, but shit, you did pretty good without spending $3,000 of our money every month yeah, going out on the road. Yeah, but so hard to
0: figure that out because you've got tons of momentum. And we, we deal with this in marketing all the time where they'll quit advertising on something. And I'm like, yeah, but we've also spent, to the branding point, we spent a shit ton of money and effort branding you as the choice now everything has changed. The current of, of money isn't all stopped up and damned, right? right? It's finding little tributaries because that's what it does. So the auto industry's killing it. Yeah, not because they're amazing deals. It's because people aren't doing big trips to Italy that they had planned. So they're going to go buy a new truck or they're going to go buy an RV. There's different things. There's so many facets of how all that stuff works together you can't look at it and go, yeah. You saved three thousand dollars. We're not going to travel anymore. I mean, you could, but you'd be stupid. Yeah, that's what I hope. Yeah, it, I mean, because I not mean, like
1: Anheuser, it's like it's you know, Budweiser has a name. It's not like, like, well, we won. We don't have to advertise anymore. Right? No, they still throw more money at advertising than anybody out there. So
0: I, McDonald's, Coca Cola, go look at all the market leads on all that stuff. Yep, they're constantly reminding people of the branding of who they are, and they don't they don't have to price point anything. They, That's what <laughs> it's, it's, it's just all about. Be inter- it's
1: going to be interesting because I think I'm involved. I think I work with a company that may be one of those that does that, and it will be real interesting to see if, say, 2022, all of a sudden I'm back on the road ten times more than I was before because they're like, "Holy shit, your well, numbers went down because we stopped traveling." What were you talking? I don't know
0: the the guy. I'm trying to remember who you were talking about. His. His guys are out beating the street while everybody else oh, is. Staying yeah, home.
1: Josh felt. I mean, yeah, he was. I, he's going to be on here. Hopefully, maybe next week we can get him on here. He's in town, so I'm. I'm. He's going to be a guest on here for sure. And he he's going to come on and talk about grabbing market share during COVID. And he's in an industry where a lot of people. Their companies shut their salespeople down, said, no, 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 we're not going out. We're not going to go out and knock on doors because that'll look bad if we're out in people's sales. You know, we don't want to be in their faces. We don't want to everyone stay home. So they locked their sales force down. They took an advantage because they're, I think he said, the third or fourth size company. So they went after and they're taking market share from one and two right now because one and two's making their salespeople stay home and they're out knocking on doors and calling on people. And right now. These guys are hungry to to see people. So they're like, well, yeah, come on in, let's talk. And now, some now of they're that, signing deals while these other guys are at home. Some yeah. of that is
0: understanding who your audience is too. Who's yeah. your customer? Cuz if your customer is somebody that is part of the demographic that's going to be like, "Why on earth are you out?" Like right. part of that is understanding who it is that you're talking Correct. to. But at the end of the day, like the world hasn't stopped. There's still people building and creating and selling and doing things. I mean, you're gonna see inventory dry up in a whole bunch of different areas because people quit making the one little part that you need to finish the thing. So you'll, I mean, you'll see that in the next through the end of the year because of a shortage of all kinds of little things from all kinds of different companies all over the world.
2: But all that does is create an opportunity, right? Supply Opp- and demand. The opportunities are still there. Yeah. it's just. Are you adaptable and able to capitalize on the opportunity right. when it presents itself? There's an aluminum can shortage, right? And so when I go back and talked about, you know, the profitability, there's a lot of unprofitable business that goes on, right? We have a a lot of SKUs that were probably unprofitable for Anheuser Bush when when you think about all the downtime they had to to, to use on their on their bottling lines, sure. And now they said, you know what? There's an aluminum can shortage. So we're going to stop making certain products and we're going to make more of Bud and Bud Light and we're going to get that on the shelf and make sure that's filled up. People are going to people are going to buy it. Yep. They're going to drink it. Absolutely. And market share of those will go up. Yep. And now I've just built a bigger brand out of Bud and Bud Light for when this all ends. And maybe, you know, inevitably more skus will come out. And, and But now Bud and Bud Light are in a stronger position right. than they were well, previously. Well, it's the ebb and
0: the flow of, and that's, again, it's being able to be adaptable not only in what you're doing, but in what you're perceiving, right? right. So it's ground floor. It's looking at it from a, a manufacturing standpoint, but also looking at it from 50,000 feet saying, well, you know what? Actually, we can leverage this to do this that does that and this is good here, all this other stuff still going to be great, but let's take care of that.
2: Every company, in my opinion, at least once a year, you should go through a SWOT analysis. Oh, go yes. through what your strengths, weaknesses, the opportunities, and threats are. You know, we can, we can go through, and most companies can, oh, this is what I'm great at, this is my strength, this is what I'm weak at. Where people struggle is identifying and pinpointing what the opportunities are and what the threats are to their company. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to do that. And so if you're not reviewing that regularly, you're missing out.
0: Sometimes you don't even know what those opportunities are until they present themselves. There's opportunities that were not there six months ago because of COVID. So I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of this. So we're a marketing and advertising firm. We do work for a number of nonprofits. A lot of times we do pro bono work. We do one of those a year. Um, one of the, our our clients that we have that is a pro bono. Uh, <laughs> they call us and say, like, again. Pro bono. <laughs> they call us, and it's literally the executive director in a parking lot going, Oh shit, what are we gonna do? Because their biggest fundraising event of the whole year is canceled because it's a gala. And they're like, Uh, can you guys help us? And we're like, Um, Yes. Yes, we can. So we helped them orchestrate a virtual gala, and it was incredibly successful. And a whole bunch of other nonprofits watched and paid attention to it. Now, suddenly, we've had this opportunity that we just literally seized and went, yeah, let's figure this out and make it work and make it work well. And it, we executed very, very well. Now we're suddenly the experts in the market for doing Virtual galas and virtual fundraising. It's not that it's rocket science; it's that we and it's it's the looking at it, figuring out how it works, and then execution of it. So we've got two more that are coming up, that um, that are a done deal, and then two more that we're talking to people about. Opportunity that didn't exist six months ago, but again, the adaptability of our staff to go, okay, yeah, we can do that. It isn't. It isn't that much different than this. We just need to figure out this technology and make sure. And then networking and talking to people that have, that have done that stuff. Ironically enough, churches are really, really good at doing virtual stuff and streaming because they've been doing it for a while. A ton of resources that you're like, oh, I'll scratch your head. Okay. So we utilized some of those resources and their expertise on it and then pivoted out of that. Worked out really, really well.
2: You know, in our in our orchards, the for instance, we're our strength is obviously we, we are fantastic growers across the board. We've our horticulturalist Dane Craver, brilliant guy. Craver. Craver. He That's a great name for won, a horticulturist. He won grower of the year nationwide. And why? Because he sees things happening in the industry before others do. And he and I talk a lot about things and one of our strengths is we are we're organic, we're very good organic growers. Right. We grow we've converted almost all of our farms over to organic farming. Because specifically in pears, there were a lot of what well, okay, SWAT analysis. What's a threat to us in the pears? Well, we had a lot of invasive insects. Mm-hmm. And it, it never seemed – however many chemicals we sprayed out there, didn't matter. We went from one problem to the next. Killed one bug, now we got a problem with another bug. Damn well, bugs. let's take our strength. Let's see the threat, which is the insects, essentially, mm. destroying our crop annually. Okay. Our strength is we're fantastic organic growers. So what's the opportunity here? The opportunity is let's convert all of our pears – over and try to grow them organically. We're better off doing that than spinning our wheels and throwing right. all this money down the drain on chemicals. And what has happened? The pear market for for conventional has basically crashed. Really, This year, pear farmers are basically going out of business. They're going bankrupt. Not the organic farmers because the pricing on organic pears is still pretty strong. Right. If we hadn't made the decision three years ago to convert all of our pears to organic, we would be bleeding money right now. But we're not, because we got out in front of it and said, you know what? The threat is too strong. We're gonna we're we're just gonna lose money on pears. We can see we can see the market trends coming. Right. So let's get everything converted to organic now. And we're one of the few people in the Royal Slope area over there where our orchards are that can grow pears and do it profitably.
0: So is that organically how much more is that, in terms of a financial investment, than doing it traditional way?
2: Um, not much, quite frankly. It's just it's, figuring it it's out, right? it's you've got to have the knowledge. You got to have pigs more that space are good. though,
1: right? Like I mean, does no. it, you, there's less okay. trees per acre? Right? No,
2: I can take the exact same acreage. I can just convert it. Okay, huh. it's were, a three year. Were process. you here
0: during this part of his podcast? Yeah, no, I this I heard that com- part, but not the or- organic. Convert- this is
1: interesting, and I maybe for another podcast, but I watched a thing on organic <laughs> that was very that turned me very anti-organic. So it's interesting to hear you, and we probably could have this off-air conversation. But like one of the things they say is that there was, I mean, and you know, it's media, so it was true because it was on the internet. Uh, but uh, it literally said, you know, if we converted the, the like right now, if we converted the whole world, all the farms to organic you would have like something like 8 years the whole everyone would starve Cause it, I, I don't cuz they said that organic's so much harder to grow that per acre there's so many less yes.
2: crops
1: that you we wouldn't be able to supply the food for the United States we'd need to provide so basically this guy was anti-organic cuz he was like well these guys are just you know, they're getting a premium price, so they're doing it, but we're actually supplying the food to the rest of the world.
2: And the people thinking like that are the people that are stuck in the old way of thinking. Right. Because, yes, yields per acre, if I take the exact same acreage and I don't do anything to it, and I convert it over to organic, yes, I'm going to lose my yield per acre. It's going to go down. Right. But from a business perspective, I'm going to make more off off of my fruit per acre than I would if I had had a higher yield but a lower price.
0: Right. right. Want me to get you a crane?
2: So, I got. It. I'm I some, I'm, tra-
1: I'm it. tracking. I'm not drinking whiskey now. I'm just drinking wine. Oh. So yes, the, the
2: yield is lower, but the price is higher. Right. I come out ahead. Okay. Now, in terms of the whole world is going to starve, I call bullshit on that because I the technology of farming is increasing. It, 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 almost exponentially. I mean, it, it's crazy how much the farming industry has changed and how much more food we're able to produce off That's of the fun, land. Yeah. The old style of farming on orchards and I have I have a few blocks that are the old school orchards yeah. that are the trees are right. 25 feet apart right yeah. And I've got 500 trees per acre. Now, on my trellises, I get 1,300 trees per acre. The that's, apple crop in warm. Washington is setting records every single year for production. There are more apples than we know what to do with. So the technology is available. I forgot how to
1: grumps it. was. I just remembered what it, it was. It, you know what I remember it was? It was a Penn and Teller bullshit, the show bullshit oh, yeah. they had on Showtime. Mm hmm. That's what it was. They did a bullshit on organic is what they did. Oh. It was one of those. Anyways, it's interesting if you get the chance to go by. But I wonder how old it is, too, now that I think about it. So, like I said, technology's changed, right? Adaptability—you adapted to a different way to grow those, you know, like the trellis. I did. I did not know anything about until right now. Did not know anything about these trellises and growing them. Trellises? on Trellises, yeah.
0: Trellises are brand new. They just came out.
1: <laughs> no, I know what trellises are. I just in my mind, I still when you talk about going to the orchards, I picture the fucking trees all laid out, you know, like yeah. an orchard, right? Like yeah, a and tree. I have some like that. I have some it, like but that. I'm like, but but it makes sense where you're like, no, we put them on a trellis so and we do this, and they the, really look like
2: a vine. Right, right. They are a tree. It's not, that makes it's, more not sense. it's not a tree that's got a, a a 1 foot, 2 foot diameter trunk. Trunk, right. Th- this tree is it like bigger to. round as a beer can. Right. And it grows 15 feet tall and I've got them spaced out every 18 inches. Right. And they basically look like vines growing up a trellis.
1: Espalier. <laughs> that's interesting. It's like an espalier tree.
2: A French version. <laughs>
1: Speaking of vines, I'm going to put some more wine
0: way in
2: my glass. In
1: so well, I would
0: be
2: oh, curious, maybe.
0: picking apart the why, orchards were laid out the way that they were, right? Historically, because they haven't really changed until fairly recently.
2: I would say over the last 15 or 20 so, years. Yeah.
0: Um, so my family, I don't think you know this, my family immigrated from uh, Canada in the 30s, and my... um great-grandfather went to the bank and said, hey, there's this orchard that you guys condemned. Our family will work it, and when it's profitable, we'll buy it for X amount of money. And the bank's like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) So they took over a condemned orchard and had it in the family for like three generations. So, But one of the the things of topping trees and orchards, that was one of the things that they had figured out a long time ago of, hey, this would make this a lot more efficient. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you're going to, I mean, its its you're essentially kind of thinning the tree anyway, but you're making it way easier to harvest, you, easy to do all those things. But it's fascinating to see the where things come from, why, why was something done a certain way? It isn't necessarily broken. It just isn't necessarily efficient either. But why change it? And you can, I mean, you could point to that in all kinds of different ways. Fields of business, of well, we've always done it that way, and the the logic of challenging that and saying, yeah, but but we can make it much more efficient. Why would we not? The competitive nature of business now, I think, is is a bigger player in forcing businesses to become more efficient because they can't afford to not to. Because if they if they don't, if they don't figure out those efficiencies and get lean, they're going to go
2: out of business. Right. And it's not, you you hit on a very good point there, and it's not easy. No. Right? And up front, yes, sometimes it can be cost prohibitive up front. You've got to see the long picture. Long dollar. Yes, I'm going to spend a dollar now, but that dollar is going to make me $5 somewhere down the road. And it might not be tomorrow, it might not be next year, but. It's going to pay off in the end. You gotta have faith in what you're doing. You know what I find it really interesting. If you don't have faith in what you're doing in anything, right. You're gonna fail. So
1: Yeah. What I find interesting is like a couple people that I spend a lot of time with that I know well and that know numbers, you and Heather. You talk to people that know numbers, they're the ones that will tell you that. That will say, Hey, you spend the money up front it's the long dollar. You're going to, you know, like you talked to Heather about when we're, when we're looking at buying equipment or a trailer or a tool or anything. Well, this one tool is a little bit cheaper. We can just grab that. She's like, why just buy the one that is going to last us that goes with the rest of our set. You know, let's just, let's go get the DeWalt cordless angle grinder that we already have all the tools for. So yeah, but we can pick up a $30 angle grinder real quick and just buzz this off. But no, let's just get the good one. Right. She understands the fact like we're going to invest now. Cause we don't have to invest in it later kind of deal. You know, you, it's going to make us more money if we have a better tool or a bigger trailer or whatever it is. And it's funny how the people that you, I, I can think of people in my head that I won't name, uh, that I know for certain have, you know, buy the cheapest shit and they're always the one replacing it and they're always bitching about it and they're always, oh, it doesn't make it, that's just too much money to spend up front. I, you know, I just, I don't know how people make their money on that. It's funny, the people that don't know numbers are the ones that actually are the cheapest. Yeah, you ones. want
2: to go to them and say, uh, well, go look at your r uh, <laughs> expense, how much did that cheap grinder cost you? Now? Right. Right, like how many times did you Which buy a cheap rider, right? <laughs> yeah. that, that's what I
1: look at. Like we, we talked about it even back as far back as when I had fencing companies. And you would we would spend, people would freak the fuck out because we would spend $100 on a pair of clamshells, you know, on post hole digger. You know, the hand post hole diggers. We'd buy the most expensive one they had. And I am not shitty. Uh, it was sitting right there when yeah. I put this fence in. I, saw. I have the same red-handled clamshells that we bought for $100 when we could have bought some for $9.99 on the same shelf and we bought the, you know, but they last to this this long. And they made us a lot of money because they freaking busted a lot of holes. And then you watch guys around us like, oh, it broke ours. And now they got to get in their truck, go into town, buy another so one, come back. there's it right there, right? And it's like now you're like, how much money did that cost you? How much money in fuel? How much money in time? It's how much money is that? It's not just the expense of
0: the, the thing, right? Right. It's the, it's, it's the same thing with people, right? Yep. If, you, if you paid the premium to get the good person and then take care of them with a great culture... You don't have to train their replacement and then their replacement's replacement. That gets expensive super, super fast. It isn't just in tools, it's in people. Spend the money to get good people that fit your culture, that fit what you're doing, that buy into the vision. Man, not only is it less expensive, you get better people. And a better product that's better for your, depending on what you're doing, better for your clients and customers. You grow your business exponentially by spending a little bit more on some of that stuff you're i mean the long term of but it
1: again what is that again going back to adapting that's adapting to the fact that we have a very low unemployment rate you have it very hard to find people i know Stein, Stein's always looking for a cdl driver to drive you know right like i mean you guys are always looking for help it's like everybody every company is we're sitting here talking about heather and i were driving down last night we're sitting here spent the whole two hour drive down talking about hiring a couple guys and we're like, all right, how do we want to do this? Do we want to, you know, how much do we want to spend? What do we, you know, let's go over the top a little bit and let's get some guys that we can, that are going to stay. And, you know, it's like, cause, cause you know what? You do have the option of paying them a little bit less money. Right. But in today's world, they'll just bounce for another 25 cents an hour to another construction company. Well, it's finding so, the right people that understand. So we it. have to adapt to today's world in the construction industry, which is construction subs are God right now. And if they have any skills at all, we, we have to treat them well. Like, you know, back in the day, you could mistreat a guy because there was a line of guys, right, that you right. could just grab them from. And so you're just like, ah, well, get the fuck out of here and you pick up somebody else. Now we're adapting to an industry where, you know, and this goes back to me getting on my whole soapbox about not being a school guy. And, you know, there, we are in the trades hurting. There's a ton of kids out there with a sales degree and a marketing degree that can't fucking swing a hammer and know how to run a post hole digger where – they and they don't have a job, and the guys that are actually look that could run a postal digger or have a CDL and could drive a beer truck could go out there and make fucking fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year instead of making thirty thousand at fucking Starbucks or as a a waitress somewhere with a degree. And we're you know we've adapted to where now okay we're gonna pay those guys a premium if right. they have the skills to do it, and just part of what we have to do in the construction industry, anyways. I mean I know it's. Similar everywhere, but we've we've got it all the time.
2: Yeah, and paying a premium for certain things. It's hard for some people to conceptualize the lost revenue right. that you lose because you tried to skimp and save a dollar somewhere else. Like Jody said, if you're turning people over all the time, so that training is so expensive. And as a business owner, your number one objective should be to drive top-line growth. How do I drive the absolute most revenue that I can drive? And if I got to spend a little more in expenses, so be it. It's going to get offset by having more right. top line growth.
1: Just math. Well, the, here, Let's go back to, let me go back to the orchard analogy. Let me, let's talk about the orchard. You talk about cutting that or that tree off, right. And taking three years, you can, you can cut the tree off and you can, you know, graph on another tree in three years, you'll have fruit. It's not a lot different with employees. You can you can <laughs> yeah. cut that employee off, but it's gonna take you three years to graph another employee on there until it's producing fruit. And sometimes that's you know, sometimes that's how it is. I mean, it's having you, vision. You, you though. get rid of as soon as you chop an employee. Yeah, you know, get ready. You're gonna have to graft grow one, that employee on. one on again, graft another one on and wait for it to produce fruit. And that's how I mean, especially in the in the you know, construction business or even being in the specialty construction like we are with ICF, there's not a lot of kids coming out, you know, they may even know how to frame, but they don't know how to build with ICF. So when we train them, all of a sudden it's like, oh, they know how to build the ICF. Okay, now this guy's efficient. And when I can not have to be there right. and they're they're freaking doing, you know, they're doing their thing and, and Heather's not having to watch them all the time or babysit them because they're doing it. The, it's like, dude, I get them trained up and they they can go out and do their own thing. They're producing money for us now. But if I have to, you know, that guy leaves or I fire him or he gets a quarter an hour more somewhere. Now I'm starting right back at fucking that stump and I'm graphing on another one.
0: That's uh the I love the the orchard analogy and just the illustration of it. If, if you've ever seen them and I, you probably have when they'll prune out a tree and you're like what did you do to the tree? Right. It looks horrible. The reality is
2: I'm not growing trees yeah. I'm growing We're fruit. growing fruit yeah <laughs> but
0: understanding that in order to get the best yield of fruit the tree has to be balanced. And you have to you have to prune it. You've got to thin it. You've got to do these things in order to to. It's it's a bigger picture than just what the tree looks like. But for somebody that lacks the vision, and they come out and they're like, "What the hell did you do to my trees?" Well, we pruned them. They look horrible. Well,
1: they're gonna look awesome. Give maybe. it nine months. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna look awesome. But that
0: but that's my point, right? It's all about the vision of saying, "Give it nine months." It's about the guys in the meeting that are saying, "Give this a year." Guaranteed, this seltzer thing it's kind of a big deal we need to position we need to have a strategy in place to be in that discussion and when when the consumer is standing at the at the cooler you damn well better be one of the choices that they're choosing from and the reality is that Budweiser brand gives you an advantage that White Claw doesn't have now they were first to market kind of like Rollerblade was first to market right so there's you know first you want to be first but still at the end of the day bigger picture an established brand will win
1: a lot of times first doesn't win uber wasn't the first they weren't the first there's, the, there's a company before uber and uber you know, recognized they're not the first you know you're not the first uber there was another uber before uber uh what was the uber you know, before uber i can't remember i've heard it's gary v tells the story all the time because his his buddy actually started uber and that's they they were it was another company that they basically spun off of that. There's a lot of guys. It's like going back to NASCAR. A lot of times you're best to be in the second position going into turn four because you can bump them, put them in the wall, and take the win. You know, and that's how a lot of business is. Robbins race we're, we're that way. Our company with our ICF brand, we're not the first to market. We came in and did it better. We have the best block on the market, and I and even our competitors don't really argue that too much with us. We we scientifically are better, but like. We are better because our owner came in with a PhD in construction science and engineering, and came in and said, "Oh, I see what's already being done. I'm going to do it better." The same deal. Budweiser has that vision right. and that ability to come in and say, "Oh, thanks, White Claw. We're gonna. We see that you actually it's a good this. idea. We're you gonna make it this better. concept out a little bit. We're gonna go ahead and take this down, bump you, put you in the wall, and then we're gonna pass you and take take the win."
0: So, great point. So, who's the smartest kid on the block, right? Is it Budweiser that says? Let's see if that proof of concept actually holds some water. Guys start working on it. Uh-huh. Okay. You guys how you coming? Uh-huh. Okay. Great. Oh, great. Let's wait in. So, I mean, they're watching it and guaranteed there's some time frame markers where they're like, "Okay, yeah, we're going to we're going to have something ready to go." But
2: I guarantee they
0: were watching it. Is this a thing or is it not a thing?
2: Coca-Cola's been watching. Coca-Cola has just announced today they're coming out with a Hard seltzer, really? really? Yep. Next year, twenty twenty one. Wow. Coca Cola is getting into the alcohol business, In the booze
0: game. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh? Mm. I'd like to be a fly on that wall, <laughs> <laughs> listening yeah. to those discussions. That's wow. interesting because they are. I mean, they are the. If they leader. ever
1: get a collaboration between Seagram's VO and Diet Pepsi, I am gonna lose my shit. <laughs>
0: We'll never see you again.
1: I am gonna be the happiest alcoholic you've ever met in your life. Just canned V.O. and Diet Coke. Oh my God! Or Diet Pepsi. I would be st- I would be stoked. I can tell.
2: But look, I'm at kind it. of excited just thinking about it. <laughs> I know it's Think never gonna it.
1: happen. I'm so excited.
2: Adaptability. Yeah. Coca Cola coming out Adapting with a, coming out to- with a seltzer. It's Which- not gonna be long. It's a natural fit. They're gonna be coming out with. Some sort of alcoholic soda mix mm-hmm. at some point. Why would yeah. they not? Yeah. Hi. Uh, well,
1: because everything, and that's the thing. Everyone says Coke, right? So, like, they can come out with rum and Coke. Right. It's, it's, and what's great about that is if you're the rum company, nobody names a rum every, well, I guess there's a few, but like, to a point. Crown. But like, everyone says Coke, right? right. Like, I, I know, I like, I drink Diet Pepsi. So, I drink my whiskey with Diet Pepsi. But when I go to a bar, what I order? Take a crown and diet. Or Crown of Coke. Or like a, you know, rum and Coke.
0: Jack and Coke. Jack
1: and Coke. Like I say Coke, even though I don't drink Coke at home, I drink Diet Pepsi at home. But I know most bars carry Coke, Cola, so I order it by name. You know, that's the kind of thing. So it's a smart play by them because it's probably going to come out that way. It's probably going to be a Jack and Coke. I would 100% put my money in
2: that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You bet. Great idea. They're
2: branding themselves.
0: But that, I mean, that goes back to the idea of you're talking about all these. The pivots and and being adaptable and it's throwing some of those ideas against the wall and saying why would we not if that's what people are doing in the bars why would we not package that stuff and here's the thing COVID changes the whole conversation because they're like well people are in the bars because the bars are closed then why are we not packaging that shit and putting it in the store for people to take home let's bring the bar to them if you've got the if you've well there's how many line changes a bazillion of them let's figure that out what do we need to do to, to get that done Again, it goes from an idea into a, le- a legitimate conversation, but COVID is the X factor in that whole thing. That suddenly, when I don't have access to go to the bar to get my drink,
1: I just thought about something, Rusty. I haven't asked you is what what's so the co what's the COVID effect been on Anheuser Bush? Because like it's funny you hear this like obviously bars are closed, which is a big part of your business, right, and selling kegs, but. There's also been a lot of talk that there's a lot more drinking going on at home. It's been kind of one of the negatives of COVID. Everyone's saying, oh, more people are drinking more at home. Uh, what's your sales show?
2: Well, the alcohol industry has not suffered.
1: <laughs> so basically
2: you went from kegs to cans. <laughs> I was well put. Our volume, again, it's an opportunity mm-hmm. that's presented itself. Our volume <laughs> is up. Our profitability is up because we had, had had to streamline some of our operations. And we didn't have all these stops at these bars where I dropped off two right. cases, right. maybe a keg. That's an unprofitable stop. Sure. Now I have to be there. Oh, okay. I, my product, but now that now that they're closed, I've, right. I've now identified these stops that have been completely unprofitable for us. So, what do we do? Well, we changed our delivery service to you. Maybe you're not. Twice a week. Maybe you're once a week. Maybe you're once every other week. Maybe I don't send my salesman in to see you as often. I go ahead and give you a call on the telephone. <laughs> What's the threshold? Or now we've developed a retailer portal. They can go in and <laughs> basically order their own. That's
1: exactly where I was going. And we
2: focus all of our energy now right. on the big, big, big accounts big yeah. that really are profitable for right. us.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, you look at restaurant supply. Like, restaurant supply is a, is a big one where... a lot of people don't realize a majority of restaurants go pick up their own food. Like they go pick up their own shit. Like they're, they're going to cash and carry. They're going to, you know, they're going and picking it up. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, maybe more the route you go there, they're swinging in and they're coming in and picking up their own shit. If they're too small, you know, you got to reach the threshold. Yeah. Find
0: the threshold. What, what's profitable and what's, what's not. And there's, I mean, again, it's, it's just math. Find the formula, figure it
1: out. Business. So, Restro, we're going to wrap this up, but I do we're going to go back to something we haven't done in a little while, probably since the Blas, I think, episode. But I kind of want to do this with Restro because I know he's a good dad, Mr. Dad Coach guy. We like to try to bring a little bit of family into this. I know you've got two awesome kids, and you coach, and you do all that stuff with them. So from this episode, for people listening that, you know, they're wanting to get a little uh, dad or coach time out of this or get better as as that – what do you say, adaptability wise? Give us a couple things that you would advise. You would give your young kids to be adaptable at their ages, and and how they could take what we're talking about here and make that good in their life. What would you tell them, Coach,
2: Dad? Well, I would say, you again, you never know what you're going to run up against. Whether you know, it, it's really easy. For everyone to operate in something they're comfortable with, in an environment they're comfortable with, with people that they're comfortable with, it's a lot harder to figure out how to get along with people, how to do business with people that, you know, maybe you don't like them, but there's... Do math with some of the people yeah, that you don't you want know, to do math with? You don't, you don't have to like everybody to get along with them and reach an outcome that's probably beneficial to both of you. Right. And so that's the skill that I try to pass along to my kids, you know, and that is first of all, I mean, treat everybody with respect because everybody deserves it. Everybody's dealing with their own bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. So just r- really, be adaptable to a bunch of different types of personalities. That's the number one skill that doesn't get taught in school. Yeah. In my opinion, I had, you know, I, I have kids that call on me, you know, fundraisers from Boise state or whatever. And they, and they've asked me, Oh my gosh, how did you become successful in your career? You know, what did you do with this? And I said, you know, the reason I became successful had nothing to do with what I learned in school what made me successful was being able to adapt and deal with a bunch of different personality types Mm -hmm. because everybody's different and you gotta figure out how to get the best out of everybody and use that little synergy baby little synergy
1: exactly
2: so I like that's good advice love it
1: I like
0: that All right, boys and girls
1: it's
0: been real it's been real
1: fun Thank you, Rustro. Appreciate you coming it's on, It's been man. a pleasure. Thank you. Did you bring a
2: Killed cooler it. full of... Uh... I brought a cooler of samples. Yeah. I what got what all kinds of stuff. Time
1: to hit the samples. That's how you know we're big time. We get a spike. I want that alcoholic coffee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be up all night. Hopped up and drunk.
0: That's a great
1: combination. So, yeah. Heather's going to hate it.
0: <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs> Maybe not. Alright, Till next time guys, we appreciate you and uh, again, hit us up at Havoc Partners on all our social medias. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. We'll see you later.
0: Night-night.